Welcome to the Holistic Counseling Podcast, where you discover diverse wellness modalities, advice on growing your integrative practice, and grow confidence in being your unique self. I'm your host, Chris McDonald. I'm so glad you're here for the journey. Welcome to today's episode of the Holistic Counseling Podcast. I'm your host, Chris McDonald. If you're a new listener, I want to say welcome. As a listener, you have access to my free nine-part email course, Becoming a Holistic Counselor. In this course, you'll explore different holistic strategies, how to develop your skills as a holistic counselor, and how to manifest your holistic practice through journaling. Go to www.holisticcounselingpodcast.com, scroll down, and enter your name and email address today. Back to today's episode. Are you facing a major transition in your practice? Maybe you're closing your in-person office, starting a group practice, or maybe switching out of therapy altogether. Whatever you're facing, it can bring up a multitude of emotions and feelings of self-doubt. Today's guest is here to provide some insights about what to expect when you're making a big transition and how you can set yourself up for a smooth one. Today's guest is Michelle Hardman. I interviewed her on episode nine, Authentic Marketing for Holistic Counseling. So if you haven't checked that out, I recommend going back and listening. She is a quote-unquote unicorn in the clinical world with an MBA in strategic management and a licensed clinical mental health counselor, private practice owner, plus a certified Daring Way facilitator teaching curricula based on the research of Dr. Renee Brown, who I love as well. Her business coaching and productivity tools incorporate powerful components of this body of work. She coaches clinicians just like you with a values-based approach to business, ensuring your practice's marketing and branding efforts are authentic and effective. Welcome back to the Holistic Counseling Podcast, Michelle. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. Can you share anything else about yourself and your work before we get started? No, I think you did a good job of covering it. Absolutely. Oh, excellent. So, so let's just dive right in then if you're ready. Yeah, definitely. It's a big topic. It really is. So tell me about your journey. What are some major transitions that you faced in your practice? You know, I think just even starting the practice, it's really intimidating, as you know, and many of your listeners know, to start your own private practice. I mean, geez, it can be intimidating just becoming a counselor, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, So for me, I came into the clinical world as a second career. So transitioning from human resources, leadership in corporate America to clinical work to private practice ownership slash clinical work, you know, there's a lot of a lot of different, there's like sort of the macro transitions, like the big obvious ones. And then there's also those micro transitions, I call them, you know, the transitions within a transition. And sometimes those can be difficult too. And, and, and frankly, really unexpected in some ways, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah. When I think about private practice and opening private practice, you know, a lot of us get trained really, really well in the clinical stuff, but then it's like, oh gosh, Financials, (laughs) Financials, <laughs> profit. What is What's that? going on in my financials? <laughs> right. What is marketing? So, you know, I think that can be, those are some of the more macro transitions I think about, you know, where we have to learn a whole new skill set or sometimes like kind of almost a whole new language, really. Right. They don't teach us any of that lingo in right. clinical grad school. So I think for me, I, like you said, I'm kind of a unicorn. Some of that I had a background in. But honestly, it, you know, for me, being a business owner was a big transition because I had never owned my own business.
business. And so really kind of thinking from sort of the whole health of the business and the whole health of myself, like what did I need to feel confident, but also maintain like some calm and I'm a, I'm a creature of habit. So what was my routine going to be like? And, you know, it's always like this kind of cool fantasy, like, Oh, when I'm a business owner and I own my own practice, I can do whatever I want. Well, yeah. And it's fantastic. And it's also like, Oh crap, I can do whatever I want. Exactly. (laughs) That's what my first accountant said too. It was like, Oh, it's great. You're in charge. Oh no, I'm in charge. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I think one of the things that I would say right off the bat to be open to is that we are going to have to learn new things, period. Um, Exactly. And it's going to feel really foreign. It's hard because sometimes we get really excited about some of these things and, and that's awesome, you know, be excited. But then the minute we hit sort of like a stall where, oh gosh, I don't know exactly what to do here. I don't know y'all, maybe it's just me, but I can sure get all up in my own head and come to a screeching halt and feel kind of paralyzed. And, and for me personally, perfectionism kicks in and I can second guess myself and, you know, that's super stressful and it can make, you know, the, the mindset that, oh, I should know all of this already is just such a trap and can be so, so bad for us in these moments of transition. It's natural, but I think having strategies to catch it is imperative. So what about comparing yourself to others? Do you think that that can be a problem too with these transitions? And Ugh, That's the worst. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everybody yes. on the outside seems like they got it all together, but what's wrong with me? Oh, right. If I had a dollar for every time I thought that I'd have retired a long time ago. <laughs> yes. Um, it's, it's really hard and you know, it happens so fast. I mean, think about all the times you might've been scrolling through Instagram or, you know, social media of any kind really, or even just sort of at a networking meeting and you hear people talking about their practice or what they're doing or the training they're doing. And Boy, those it's really in Brene Brown language, most of you will recognize, right? Like the shame gremlins can just grab us as soon as we start to compare ourselves. And it just happens so quick. Yeah, it can be, I think that automatic response. And Yeah, yeah. You know, we're creatures that want to survive and that survival mechanism, that survival instinct can kick in so quickly and we don't even have to try, right? It just, it's like the, it's like our amygdala, right? If you want to talk about it from a neurological perspective, the amygdala, which senses threat, right? Our sort of internal smoke detectors, if you will, it's like, oh gosh, I'm missing something, you know, and we perk up and it's just terrible because then it kind of oftentimes will kick off that script. What am I doing wrong? What did I miss? Why is, why is that going this way for them and not for me? Why didn't I think of that? It's just overwhelming. So, you know, for me, one of the things that I would say is kind of my favorite hack, if you will, in that space is to get really acquainted with what, what are my favorite things I tell myself when that kicks in that comparison thing. For me, the phrase I'll use is, oh, I should have known better. Or why didn't I think of that? The more I've tried to work to be really, really aware of those words running through my mind, the better I've been able to cope with when it comes up because I recognize it more. And it might sound kind of basic, but you know, like we were saying, Chris, it happens so instinctively and quickly. It can really happen without us even realizing it. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So I know you've made some major transitions and that you've really cut down your private practice. Was that a hard transition for you? Oh, it was so hard. Um, One of the things I want to just, I wish I could put in like a big neon sign for everybody is that grief is inherent 
in transition. Like we can't transition from one thing to another without grief because inevitably, you know, we've only got so much bandwidth. And if we're adding something, we're probably also letting something else go. And so typically we don't honor that for ourselves. As I scaled back on the clinical side of my business and ramped up the primed practice side of my business and started coaching more, I started publishing the planner, you know, it was, it kind of caught me off guard to be perfectly honest, how much grief I felt because I loved working with the people I worked with. I loved treating anxiety. I loved sitting in that sacred space, you know, with trauma, with the clients that I worked with and, and And I will say I was very sad because as excited as I was to grow the other business, I really did miss parts of that work and some of the things that I wasn't doing as much. So for me and lots of folks that I've coached with that as that have also begun, you know, passive income streams or doing other things, I think the grief is really to be honored and really needs space as you move through transitions. And we just often kind of skip it all together. I think you're right. And just to recognize that and honor is so important because as I closed Mm -hmm. my in-person office and moved all the telehealth, Michelle, I had no idea how much it was going to impact me because I thought I was all in my, you know, front of my brain, just like, oh, I'm good. And I'm just going to do this. And and then as I got started with the process and, you know, each step that it was a final thing, I was like, oh my God, why am I just like so sad and feels like somebody died? And mm-hmm. and, and I would always preface telling people, this is stupid to feel this way, but then I wasn't honoring my own emotion. I think we judge ourselves, yeah. even yeah. as therapists, even though we tell clients the same thing to honor, <laughs> but it's like, well, damn, yeah. where's this feeling coming from? <laughs> Yeah. Like, oh, damn, that came out of nowhere. Yeah, Um, no, what the hell is it? Right. (laughs) I know it it just, like you said, it just can surprise you and take you off guard. Like, wow, I had no idea. Like when I had that final moment of closing the office door physically and I just bawled, my husband's like, oh my God, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) It was just, and I'm telling you for two weeks, it's just, I was just having a rough go. So I really tried yeah. to give car- carve that space for myself to journal and, you know, do those nurturing kinds of activities just to give myself a little time and not just jump right into my normal schedule because I really had to have more time to work through that. Yes, a hundred percent. And I'm so glad you did that for yourself because I think that, you know, it, it really can be just feel like it comes out of the blue, but you know, with any transition, I don't know, there's a really great book called necessary endings that Henry cloud wrote. And it is a great book from not just from a business perspective, but he does talk about it from a business perspective, but also from a personal perspective, um, how, you know, for one door open, one needs to close. And of course we've all, you know, we've all heard that cliche, but I love the way he talks about it. Um, he uses examples about, you know, pruning a flower bed or pruning a rose bush. You know, you have to cut some of the beautiful buds off in order for new growth to come. And, you know, I think our transitions, whether personal or again, like in the private practice realm, that, that is true still. I mean, even if you think about just having clients come and go, you know, people that have, you've worked with maybe 
for a while and they reach their goals and move on. You know, I, for me, there's always a little bit of a sadness and that's one of those sort of micro transitions, right? Like there's all these little micro transitions happening all the time, especially I think for those of us in private practice. So recognizing those and, and really being able to label them and, and give them the space to be their own thing, (laughs) if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think is really important, you know? And I think knowing that reminders can come up too, that can throw you off. At least it did for me. Um, Absolutely. I had a Facebook, you know, those damn Facebook memories came up. And I had the one that I saw that was when I first moved into the office and, and posted my first picture of my office. And that just like threw me off for the whole, I mean, looking back now, I'm like, well, it makes sense why that would do that. But at the moment I was like, why is this bothering me so much? Yeah, exactly. But I was there five years. I mean, that was my first nice space, you know. That's right. That's right. I'm well. I'll be calling you in September when my lease is up because it's it's up in September after six years. So (laughs) let's talk then. (laughs) But I think part of that too is is letting go, like you said, because I had to get rid of so much stuff, and I'm thinking every single thing I'm getting rid of is still a small, like you said, micro um, of just letting go, letting go releasing. And it was just, oh, emotional, no matter what we're getting rid of, right? It can be difficult. That's it. A hundred percent. And I think that's, you know, another thing that I would put in here in terms of really important things from a, from a transition perspective is just a a real boatload of self-compassion. And if you think that you had have enough, add more because you can't have too much. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, because like, like, I love how you were saying, you know, that you let yourself have some extra space and you didn't ramp back up, you know, to a full caseload right after you transitioned out of your physical office, because you knew you needed time to journal and kind of sit with that. I love, love, love that because what a beautiful act of self-love and self-compassion to give yourself that space and, and really get refocused because, you know, as, as we know, and as many people who are listening probably know, it feels different. I think in a lot of ways doing counseling, over telehealth than it does sitting in the office. So we're not only transitioning how we do business, but we're transitioning and and it's changing how we feel when we do the business, if that makes right. sense. No, I, I'm and glad so, you said that. Yeah. And, and I think that's another thing that can be really easy to skip over because, you know, I think for a lot of us therapists, we're very passionate about what we do, right? We didn't, we didn't pick this line of work because we couldn't think of anything else better to do. There's usually a real, real solid reason we chose it. (laughs) Um, So true. Yeah. And so it means even more to us, right. Than when we have these transitions. So not just looking at, well, how am I doing business? How do I run my business? How do I operate my business? But it's also, how do I feel doing business this way? And that's one of the things, if you've ever heard me talk about sort of the business coaching side is really, you know, to have an authentic practice, whether you're in person or not, we really have to be showing up as ourselves and giving space for ourselves. So it's not just about how I do business or when or what hours or physically present or over telehealth. It's also about how do I feel in this space, whatever that space is, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I I think that's why it was so hard when a lot of therapists had to move on to telehealth from that big transition two years ago in 2020. There was a lot of grief then too, I think for people, which made sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And for me, 
Yeah, it was, it was really huge. And I, I treat so much trauma for me personally. Um, I'm happy to eat crow as the saying goes, but like, I was a big naysayer like this. I can, I'm not going to be able to treat trauma effectively on telehealth. I just didn't think that it was, I mean, I thought it could work, but I didn't, it wasn't my preferred mode. And I was just kind of doubting how well it could work. Right. And I had a couple people who actually just absolutely blossomed during telehealth and, you know, thinking about, well, they're in their home, they're in their familiar surroundings. Duh, Michelle, it kind of makes sense that it would (laughs) go really well, but that's not what I was thinking about. You know, when the trend, when the transition hit, you know, when the pandemic first came upon us and we were all staying at home. So you know, I think being open to the fact that sometimes we could be wrong too, right? In that transition, true, I thought for sure, this is not going to work. What am I going to do? And um, I was wrong and that's okay. You know, it doesn't, it's not a bad thing to be wrong sometimes. Like in that case, it was great to be wrong, <laughs> but you know, it can be, it can feel really threatening when we feel like we don't know the answer or oh gosh, I made the wrong call. But you know, being a business owner, being a practice owner, being a therapist, I mean, come on, y'all being a human, right? Like we're going to get stuff wrong sometimes. Even therapists? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. I, I really would like to say we could wish we had them, all the but... answers. <laughs> right? I know. But that human thing just gets us. <laughs> it sure does. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. what do you think are some things that helped you with your transitions? Was there any strategies that you've tried? You know, one of my key favorite things to do is when I start feeling, well, for me, I feel it in my chest when it starts kind of getting tight and I start feeling the pressure, the internal pressure of, I got to get this right, or I got to do it better, faster, whatever, is to really just pause. Like I imagine an imaginary pause button that I can push and just say, hang on a minute. Like what's happening right now, right? Like what is going on that's getting me kind of juiced up right now. And it's usually because I'm telling myself some ridiculous or hurtful story, right? And again, the whole self, the idea of self-compassion, I'm probably in those moments when I, when I catch it and can pause, I am not talking to myself. Like I would be talking to you, Chris, if you were telling me you were worried about the transition you were in, I would be talking much in a much more mean way, right? To myself than I would talk to you. And so I think one of my favorite things is slow down. And would I talk to my friend this way as sort of basic and elementary as that sound, it snaps me out of whatever headspace I'm in most of the time, or at least shines light on the awareness that, Oh, I'm not being very kind to myself right now, which, you know, again, if we think about our brains, if I'm beaten up on myself, all that's going to do is get my amygdala going. Cause it's like, okay, well, I'm feeling bad or I'm worried or I'm anxious. Now I'm telling myself, Oh, you idiot. You should have known that. Or why didn't I think of that? Which I told you are my two phrases that I catch myself using a lot with myself in those times. And then when I do that, of course, then I'm just more upset because now I have anxiety, right? On top of whatever I was already feeling. And that's not going to help us move effectively through to the other side of that moment, right? It's going to get us stuck in that moment and maybe even feeling like it's pulling us down in that moment versus being able to navigate and move through it. That makes a lot of sense. And I I appreciate you because you were one of my support people that I reached (laughs) out for. (laughs) Um, And I think that that's one of the important things is is to find your support for this and find people who understand who are in the field. Because I could tell my husband and he just kind of look at me like, oh, yeah, 
I'm sorry. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't quite, you didn't quite get it. Uh, but, uh, talking to you and I had another person that was actually going through the same exact thing. She was closing her office. So we would just message back and forth and how are you doing today? And tell, let me tell you what happened today that surprised me and how are you coping? So just having that universal feeling, right. Of the same thing, same time we're going through this. Oh my gosh. And I'm so, yeah, I'm so glad you said that because the cool thing is, I know when, when you were going through that and we were texting back and forth and goodness, you know, you've been my person too. And I've texted and been going through difficult things as well. And the thing that I love about that, and I'm so grateful that you mentioned that is because so often when we're in that space and we feel like we should have known, or we missed something, or we're feeling embarrassed maybe, or we're feeling shame or all those things, or just like we were talking about earlier, maybe we're just feeling the sadness of the transition as it unfolds to be able to reach out and tell someone, gosh, this is so hard. Right. And, and to feel heard and understood by the person on the other end of the phone or text or whatever the case may be saying it out loud like that really can disarm the power that sometimes it feels like it has over us. And it's not just good for us when we can say it, but you know, like when I was getting texts from you, I feel grateful that you and I have the relationship. We can do that. Right. Like, so even though I'm not the one reaching out at that point, it's still a maintaining a connection. And I think at the end of the day, right. Like knowing we have those connections is just so powerful, whether I'm the person reaching out to you because, oh my gosh, all this stuff is going on or, you know, whether it's you reaching out to me or whatever the case may be, I think it's really beneficial for both people. And sometimes, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but sometimes we, we can be resistant on reaching out and saying it out loud to someone else because right. Like, what are they going to think? Or I don't know. There's, a million different things it could be. But I really think it does not only ourselves a disservice, but also the person to whom we might be reaching out. Cause who knows that, you know, there were days you reached out to me and I remember saying, Oh my God, yes, today. Ugh, you know? <laughs> right. Um, so it really, it's, it's really kind of a neat thing when you can connect that way, regardless of who is sort of initiating the supportive conversation. And I wonder too, as therapists, if a lot of us are like, I can handle this. I know the strategies. <laughs> I know the coping exactly. skills. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I think we're the worst at that sometimes. I agree. I agree. And I think, you know, it kind of makes sense that we might be the worst at it, right? Because yeah. the the backstory to ourselves is often, oh, well, I'm, I'm supposed to teach people how to do these things and here I can't even do it. So I think sometimes there's this natural resistance because like, well, dang, I don't want to tell one of my therapist friends that I'm having trouble because then what are they going to think? Right. Or, or worse yet, they're going to stop referring people to me. You know, I mean, there's so many, (laughs) there's so many kind of spokes coming off of that wheel. We can kind of get in a really, really difficult headspace sometimes. That's so true. Yeah. I'm glad you said that, said that out loud. (laughs) I think there's that inner voice, right? That (laughs) that might prevent therapists from reaching out. But I will tell you this, the more vulnerable you can be, the more it helps other people to be vulnerable is what I've found. Because once I reached out in my Facebook group, I can't believe the the support, I mean, just pouring out that people are really wanting to, you know, be able to share their experience or just offer support. It's just, you're, you would be surprised when you do reach that vulnerable place with other therapists to say, hey, I'm struggling, that the I, people are going to show up. Yeah, it really gives me goosebumps talking about it and hearing you say that, Chris, because, you know, that's, 
that's exactly what shows up in Brene's research too, and Brene yeah. Brown's research about vulnerability, right? Like when we can be vulnerable, we actually are kind of not only modeling that and sharing ourselves with people, but we're also giving them permission to be vulnerable too. And that, I mean, that's about as awesome as it could get in my opinion, you know? I think so too. <laughs> and I think kind of similar along those lines is just to be willing to take one step at a time, you know, because when we're vulnerable, well, the tendency, right, again, sort of in Brene Brown's language is to armor up and protect ourselves and to not be seen for whatever reason. And I think that it's easy to think we have to have it all figured out or, you know, in other words, have all the steps lined up and know exactly what I'm going to do. But to the extent that we can just stay in today, what do I have to do today? The better we can sort of navigate it because otherwise we're just kind of piling on to ourselves, right? And creating potentially some serious anxiety when it's like, oh, I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this. <laughs> but if you That's break it down, I might not, yeah, yeah, exactly. I might not have to do that last thing for three more months. So it's good to have it on the radar, but it's not what I need to spend my energy on today. So I think being able to give yourself permission to have a beginning, a middle, and an end, maybe, right? Just break it up into three chunks and and then just take each one of those chunks with, you know, the action steps within each of one of those one at a time. So true. And I think that's a good way to look at it too, for people just starting practice, because that talk about overwhelming <laughs> when you start yeah. something new, but even if you're moving on to something else in your practice, like opening a group practice, like how do I break this down and what are my steps? And can you talk for a minute about people that might be considering leaving counseling? Because I can't imagine what that must feel like. Cause I know I've seen people on like Facebook groups talk about that. And what do you think yeah. would be most helpful for people considering the transition to leave the counseling field? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, it's, it's, again, I think there can be a lot of grief in that. And, you know, it's not like when I think about when I left my human resources career, I mean, sure, there was grief involved in that, too. But again, most well, I think every therapist that I know and I, I, I feel like the vast majority of us do this because of a really deep rooted why, you know, there's a real reason why we chose this line of work. And so, again, it's not just like, oh, I'm going to leave this line of work, but you know, we, A, we've worked really hard to get to where we are in private practice or as a counselor, you know, maybe you work in a group practice. It's still a lot of work to get to that point. And I think when you have worked so hard to get to a certain place, there's natural grief there because it's, it's not, um, hopefully it's not, oh gosh, I did this all for nothing. Cause that certainly isn't true, but that it can feel like I've worked so hard and now to leave it, we can almost second guess ourselves, I guess, sometimes. And I think to give some space for yourself to sort through that is really helpful because it does take time to make a decision like that. It's a really big decision. Even when I started doing coaching and started creating the primed planner and doing the tools and stuff for clinicians and private practice, I still was doing clinical work, but I was shocked again, as we're saying, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I was, I felt a lot of grief as I moved a little further away from clinical work. I was still doing it, but it took me, I would say a good nine months to figure out what my clinical schedule was going to look like because I thought, oh, I can do this other stuff sort of in the margins of the day, right? And that that was doing a disservice to that side of my business. So again, being patient with myself and letting myself kind of sift through what 
what can I do and maintain my own mental and emotional well-being? You know, sure, I could work 20 hours a day, but just because I can doesn't mean I should, right? Yes. <laughs> and so, so, so the grief is part of it. And again, slowing down to give yourself time to figure out what looks and feels right for you, because what looks okay and feels okay for me might be different than for you, which is totally awesome, right? But that's, again, one of those reasons why comparison can be such a such a dangerous thing, right? So I think figuring out the time you need to make the transition, figuring out what you're transitioning to and, and what can that timeline look like reasonably? You know, this isn't a time to sort of be a hero, right? (laughs) And take on too much. Exactly. Exactly. But I think giving yourself permission that it's okay to change. And I'm not the same person as I was when I got out of grad school. I mean, I've made a lot of shifts in my career and different positions and different roles and adding new things. And so, but it's okay to make these shifts. It's okay to be different and want to choose a different path and allowing yourself those affirmative words. Oh, yeah. And and it's so powerful to give that permission to yourself. You know, what a what a beautiful gift. And, you know, being a, a Daring Way facilitator, um, and if, if you've ever heard me again talk about this any other place, you will know I'm a bit, you know, part of how I do business coaching is based on some of that curriculum, specifically core values. And, you know, in the Daring Way curriculum, we identify two core values. And you know, whether you're talking about business coaching or transitions, personal life, you know, we are who we are. And those values don't change just because I walked in the door at the office or I just got home from work. It's those are your, those are sort of the guiding principles by which we live our lives. And I would encourage folks to think about what are your core values? Because when all that other stuff is swirling through a transition and whether it's leaving private practice or living, leaving clinical work altogether, If I can go back to my core values, and for me personally, those are authenticity and gratitude. If I can use those to be my compass in the transition, I know my lived experience is a much more grounded one. And it helps me have less anxiety because I feel like I'm being true to who I am and what I need. Perfect. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think that's a great way to end this episode. Michelle, was there anything else that you wanted to share before we end today? No, I'm just, I'm really excited to be here with you again, Chris, and I appreciate it. And I just want to tell everybody that if you find it hard to give yourself permission to do any of the things that Chris and I are talking about, reach out to that trusted colleague, trusted friend, heck, reach out to me or Chris. We will give you the permission (laughs) because I think you and I, Chris, believe so strongly in it. So yeah. For sure. But thank you for coming on the podcast again. This has been great conversation. Definitely. Thank you. And thanks to my listeners. I hope you found this helpful. If you did, please help us reach more therapists and forward this to a colleague who could benefit. This is Chris McDonald sending each one of you much light and love. Until next time, take care. Thank you for listening and supporting the Holistic Counseling Podcast. If you're loving this podcast, please share with your colleagues so we can continue to grow our holistic community. Also, are you ready to take the next step to create an integrative counseling practice? I invite you to sign up for my free nine-part email course, Becoming a Holistic Counselor. In this course, you'll explore different holistic strategies, how to develop your skills as a holistic counselor, and how to manifest your dream practice. Go to www.holisticcounselingpodcast.com 
scroll down and enter your name and email address today. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one. 